0: So, I wanted to start with with this um devotional from uh my utmost for his highest it I don't know if it'll necessarily i haven't read it yet for today um but basically it has a a devotional for like each day and um I don't know this this book is really good it just um I've gotten a lot out of it reading it but um I was gonna have you read it Curtis if that's okay if you want. Um, but basically, I don't know if this is going to necessarily apply to what we're reading today, but I just thought it'd be good as like uh food for thought. Awesome. So it's oh, just, it's book. yeah, March 7th right there. Uh,
1: source of abundant joy. And there's a, a Bible verse. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8.7. So Paul is speaking here of the things that might seem likely to separate a saint from the love of God. But the remarkable thing is that nothing can come between the love of God and a saint. The things Paul mentioned in this passage can can and do disrupt the close fellowship of our soul with God and separate our natural life from But none of them is able to come between the love of God and the soul of the saint on the spiritual level. The underlying foundation of the Christian faith is the undeserved, limitless miracle of the love of God that was exhibited on the cross of Calvary. A love that is not earned and can never be. Paul said this is the reason that in all these things we are more than conquerors. They are super victors. The joy that comes from experiencing the very things which look as if they are going to overwhelm us—so huge waves that huge waves that would frighten an ordinary swimmer—produce a tremendous thrill for the surfer who has ridden them. Let's apply that to our own circumstances: the things we try to avoid and fight against—tribulation, suffering, and persecution are the very things that produce abundant joy in us. We are more than conquerors through him in all all these things, not in spite of them, but in the midst of them. The saint doesn't know the joy of the Lord in spite of tribulation, but because of it, but because of it. Paul said, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. 2 Corinthians seven undiminished radiance which is the result of abundant joy is not built on anything passing but on the love of God that nothing can change. And the experiences of life whether they are everyday events or terrifying ones are powerless to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans
0: 8-9 Good That was awesome I didn't even like read that beforehand. That's just like a really good, uh, good oh, thing. Nice. I think that made it pretty clear. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so Matt, since you weren't here um, last time, um, we kind of, j- we're kind of just playing this by ear at the moment. We, okay. we went through um, Jonah and Joel last time. So we're going like through the prophet books in chronological order. Okay. Um, so basically, um, like you know about Jonah, right? Like how he got swallowed by the whale.
2: I actually do not know about Jonah. I haven't like studied the Bible long, that much.
0: That's alright. That's what this is for. Right. So part of why I wanted to go through the prophets is just to have like a foundational um, thing. So like. We can kind of have the background from it, right. and also figure out, like, um, like pull out principles and, like, lessons and, you know, just things to apply to our lives from it, whatever that may be. Right. But um, to preface the, uh, actually, what we're going to be reading today, I kind of just uh, I took some notes, um, just uh, of highlights and stuff that I that kind of stood out to me while I was studying for this. Um, so basically, Amos is um, the prophet right after the prophet Joel. They're, I'm, I'm, I actually think they're, uh, they're contemporaries of each other, which basically means that they were around at the same time. Um, so this takes place in the 8th century B.C. And um, Rome, uh, like the state or the country of Rome was actually founded at the around this time as well um, Amos was also contemporary with the prophet hosea okay. uh, and then another note I have here says uh at this time during during Amos's uh life and ministry, Jonah's visit to Nineveh had halted assyrian forces and and Israel hadn't known war for a long time in this piece. In this peacetime, they they became prosperous and developed trade and commerce. They began to be materialistic and complacent in their new easygoing lifestyle, which historically with Israel and man in general, um, makes us apathetic to the things of God. To the point where we become too independent and put God on the back burner. Another note I have says, uh, Peace and prosperity can indeed be a good thing, but sometimes too much of a good thing can be bad. A generation of people who've never known war or hardship becomes soft and lax, which is what can happen in society and also in God's church. The modern church is so far removed from the way the church is actually supposed to be, as outlined in the book of Acts. church, unfortunately, has become stripped of its true meaning when it should be a training grounds for soldiers in Christ's army. Uh, We can become too comfortable when everything is okay, so God will often allow things to be heated up, as it were, for us to turn our attention to what really matters. (coughs) Continuing on, um, Israel, at this time, became too secular, which basically means that they were kind of just acting like everybody else, you know, not being the people of God, um, basically because all of the pagan influence due to the trade and um, like the, the different cultures and different peoples coming into the, their land at this time. So they kind of adopted like the practices and traditions of the pagans and forgot the practices and traditions of their fathers. Um, they began to mix paganism with their religion and then thus they became compromised. Um, At this time also, Israel fell into idolatry, which is like a common theme throughout all the prophet books. Uh, The prophets usually come against Israel for committing idolatry and worshiping other gods and things like that. Um, Continuing on, Israel was meant to be holy and set apart, but they grew compromised and began to act like the world. As God's people, we must reject the status quo and go against the grain of the world. We must be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Because a thermostat controls the environment and controls the heat and what it's like. A thermometer just tells you what what it's like, so it's not actually making a difference. It's just like there. Um, God sent judgments upon Israel, yet they stubbornly went their own way and continued to reject God. So, during the time of Amos and in the time of Joel, God kept telling them that, like, if you don't stop doing acts, I'm going to send locusts, I'm going to send a plague, I'm going to send a famine, and you need to stop or you're going to be judged. And these things really did happen historically.
2: Right.
0: Um, another note says, Amos was a poor farmer. Um, Whose crop was figs from a sycamore tree. He was commissioned by God to go and tell the northern tribes uh, their judgments. And also, he spoke judgments upon other nations. But um, basically, he received a word from God, and God told him to essentially go tell these people what they were doing. And if they don't stop, then he's going to bring something bad to happen. Um, So essentially, Amos was a nobody but God still used him. He was just a fig farmer. He was just like a, you know, regular nine to five job kind of guy. And he wasn't like, he didn't really have any like credentials, but God was still able to use him. So that's kind of an encouraging thought. Um, Amos' book is a, basically um, a collection of prophecies and sermons during the time that he had, you know, ministered to the people of Israel. And it was basically like, all his sermons and prophecies compiled into one work later on. Um, This one's kind of a long one, but Amos is basically about God's people being in decline because they've compromised and forsaken the right way. For this, God sends Amos to restore and correct his people to thus bring change. Their material prosperity and increase had resulted in a spiritual drought that caused the nation to become unjust, hypocritical, and perverse. As God's people, we must take personal responsibility to uphold God's way and values, especially in this day when morals are being forgotten and the secular society attacks Christ and his church. The circumstances of Amos are relevant to our day and most, if not all, of Judeo-Christian history. One of the principles or lessons we can take away uh, from this story, as we'll read on, um, is that order and values must be upheld for good to come. In Israel's history, they set up holidays, pillars, stones, and monuments as a memorial for like, their children and latter generations to remember like certain events that happened. Like when they crossed um, the Jordan River, um, Joshua set up 12 stones, each one to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, And then it specifically says in the Bible, like, so that... I set this up so that when people years from now say, what are these stones for? This is to remember the Israelites crossing the Jordan River to get into the Promised Land. Um, So basically they would set up things like that, like uh, there's wells that they talk about in the Bible that they made, or like just stones and like monuments and stuff, so that people can remember their ancestors... And that and that they can remember like the traditions of Abraham and their fathers. And then to add to that, um, I wrote I'm kinda reminded of the movie The Last Samurai. I don't know, have you seen it? Has anybody seen it?
2: I'm not quite sure. With um
0: uh, what's his name? Tom Cruise. So basically, you, have you seen it, Curtis? I
1: haven't seen it, but I think Joe was telling me about it.
0: Okay. Um, well, it's a good movie if you ever watch
1: I'm it. Right there,
0: no. But basically, um, I was kind of reminded of it because a lot of what happens in that movie is kind of reminiscent of like what's going on in um, Israel in Amos, because um, the Last Samurai is based upon. On, like the industrial revolution when like the west was kind of like the precedent for everywhere else in the world so like America and England and all like the quote unquote modern countries were kind of like bringing their ideas and their values into like ancient Japan and there was like the um, there was like tribes of samurai which held to like the ancient traditions of japan and they were like fighting against japan becoming modern which is kind of like in almost how like all the pagans and um like the influencers from other countries came in and kind of brought their own ideas and they were kind of like trying to um like they corrupted israel so that they would like worship other gods and do all this other stuff um but basically In the movie, um, the ancient traditions of Japan and the samurai way of life was being challenged by modern society, industry, and Japan's desire to be like the West. But the samurai fought back, and the emperor told the people that they must never forget where they came from. We must learn to keep the faith and hold true to it so that it does not become skewed. Um, And then the last note that I put here... Says in addition to that, the word samurai means to serve. Part of the philosophy of uh, samurai is almost biblical. Um, a samurai is a warrior who is also a servant, and that is what we must be and are called to be as Christians. We are to serve God and serve others, because Jesus said, "Whoever wishes to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven must be servant of all," which demands humility. Also, Paul says that we as Christians are soldiers and warriors for God, commissioned to combat the evil spiritual forces of our world, i.e. demons and the devil. So basically, we can kind of take the example from Amos and take the example from The Last Samurai that like, this is like, um, like a lesson for us to keep the values and keep like the traditions of our faith. Not in like a religious way, but like sincerely to you know not let it be corrupted, not let it be changed. Because it's happened to the church throughout history that a lot of like um, different practices and stuff were like intermingled with the church and it gets corrupted and it loses its, it loses its true meaning. So basically we we have a personal responsibility to uphold the truth that is revealed to us from the Bible. And especially like with, you know, cancel culture and all this other stuff going on, we want to make sure that we're not just being trampled on by the world. We want to be able to um, uphold the truth. If I could find where I was at here. We can get started. I lost my place. Okay. Alright, so that was just uh those notes were just more food for thought. Just to kind of preface what we're gonna be reading.
2: Those were nice notes.
0: Thank you. I think, according to my my footnote here, it says that the word Amos means burden. And then under that it says, um, like, the theme of this book is God's final warning to the northern kingdom. So, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So basically at this time there was a civil war between Israel um, and Judah which Israel is like the general term for like all the people of Abraham. But Judah was like one of the tribes one of the twelve tribes of Israel. So they had kind of broken off and they had set up like their own royal line and their own governments. Just kind of how like Back in, like, the Civil War, we had the Confederate states and the Union states, or how there's, like, North Korea, South Korea, North Vietnam, South Vietnam. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the inhabitants of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. Um, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead, with threshing instruments of iron. So basically a threshing means to, like if you had grain, you would like sift it or thresh it to kind of shake out the whatever you don't need so that you can get the seeds and stuff. And then you would burn whatever you didn't need. So that he's kind of using that as an analogy to say what Damascus did um, to Gilead. In verse 4, he says, I will send a fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the places or the palaces of Ben Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Aven, and him that holds the scepter of the house of Eden. And the people of Syria shall go into captivity to Ker, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. So basically, um, Amos is receiving a word from God to kind of like pronounce these judgments upon other nations, and then he's going to finally get to um, Israel. In verse 8 he says, And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and him that holds the scepter, or basically anyone who's the ruler, from Ashkelon. And I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remains of the Philistines shall perish, says says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyrus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the palaces thereof, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they did pursue his he did pursue his brother with the sword and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath ever, so if you know the story of um Jacob and Esau. Jacob was renamed Israel. And or er, Esau was renamed Edom. So Edom. Went to become his own nation. So God is pronouncing judgment upon Edom. Um, because he says in verse 9. You, had not, you have not remembered the brotherly covenant. So Edom. Is like an archetype. Of. Like the the nation is is a type of um, like it, it ba- the nation itself basically personifies the the person Edom the person Esau so he's saying like the nation itself is disrespecting the fact that Israel is its brother and it says it's delivering up delivering them up and um, he says. He pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually when he kept his wrath forever. So when God says like Israel or when God says Edom, it's kind of like how we refer to the United States as um, like Uncle Sam. It's kind of like one person personifying the entirety of the nation. So in verse 12 he says, But I will send fire upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of Bozrah. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women of child, um, of, with child of Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and I will defo- devour the palaces thereof with shouting in the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of whirlwind. And their king shall go into captivity and his princes together, says the Lord. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he has burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kirioth, And Moab excuse me, shall die with tumult, and with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet, and I will cut off the edge from the midst or I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay all the princes thereof with him, says the Lord. And Matt, you weren't here, obviously, but in um in Jonah, basically, God tells him Jonah is a prophet, and God tells him to go to um Assyria, which is like a pagan nation, they worship other gods, they, you know, do all sorts of evil stuff, but God sent him there to basically go and tell them to repent and turn to God, um, or God's going to smite them with judgment. So from that, we can kind of figure that God, like no matter what any nation does, God will always give pe- people individually and nations a chance to turn to to change before he brings judgment and if they continue then he's going to bring judgment which is basically what he's saying here Um, we don't see like what happened between what they're doing and God giving them the judgment but if God is judging a nation then you know that he already gave them the chance to, to change beforehand he's not just like unleashing his wrath um Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions, I'm in verse four, um, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord and and have not kept his commandments. And their lies cause them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. So basically God, is, God pronounced all the judgments upon the surrounding nations, and now he's zeroing in on Israel and Judah and calling them out. Um, so he calls out Judah and says that they despised or hated the law of the Lord did not keep his commandments and their lives caused them to err or walk astray. Um, And because of that he says he's going to send a fire upon Judah which is going to devour completely the palaces. And then he comes after Israel and says, For three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. And obviously they're doing injustice to righteous people and poor people. And if you know anything about God, God is uh, very particular about how poor people are treated. So he's not going to let that go unpunished, essentially. Um, In verse 7, And the poor for a pair of shoes that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek and a man and a man and his father will go into the same maid and profane my holy name, so basically he's saying that a man and his son are you know fornicating with the same woman, and they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their small g god, so they're committing like Idolatrous, sacrilegious practices. He's saying they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar. So they're pledging themselves to other gods and they're drinking the wine of the condemned. On in my footnote, it says another word for condemned is judged or punished. Or you could say the damned. They're drinking the wine of the damned. Um Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars and was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. And I brought you up from the land of... Also, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up of your your sons for prophets and your young men for Nazarites. A Nazarite is basically... um, In my footnote, it says that it's a dedicated... Devoted person, and if and Curtis and Eric, you know that we just read through Samson and um, uh, what's his name, Samuel, and we know that Nazarites had to like keep the Nazar the Nazarite creed, where they couldn't cut their hair, they couldn't drink wine or any strong drink, and they what was the other one? They they couldn't like. Um, go after strange women, right? Something like that, like foreign, they couldn't marry foreign women, I think. But basically, they they had to swear to never cut their hair, never drink any, like, wine or any strong drink. So they were, like, devoted people. Um, so God is basically just like saying, after all I've done for you, yeah, you you're still not listening. In verse 12 he says, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink, which we just discussed is obviously wrong, and commanded the prophets saying, prophesy not. So they're going the exact opposite way of what God told them to do. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart that is pressed, as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore, the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handles the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself, neither shall he that rides the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, says the Lord. So because of all this stuff that he's done, Nobody is going to be excused, nobody's going to be um, exempt from what's going to happen. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him or a trap? Shall one take up a, a trap from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city so that the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord has not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing. But he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. So basically, in, in the other uh, chapter there, they were telling the prophets to not prophesy. And the prophets, in, with the royal lines in Israel, they were like, they were, they were tight with the kings in Israel because the kings needed spiritual direction from God through the prophets to know what to do and how to you know guide and direct the country. And if you're, not, if you're telling the prophets that were commissioned by God, not false prophets, but the actual true prophets, to not prophesy, then the country is just going to go all over the place. And as we read in uh, Judges at the end of the book, it says, when there's no king and there's no leadership or direction, then every man does what's right in his own sight. Which is never good. Um, but uh, let's see, where are we? In verse nine. Um, oh no, verse eight. Sorry, of chapter three, the lion has roared; who will not fear? The Lord has spoken; who can but prophesy? Publish in the palaces, and the palaces at Ashdod, and in the palaces, in the land of Egypt. And say, assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof, for they do not do for they know not to do right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces, therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall there be even round about the land, and they shall bring down your strength from you, and your palaces shall be spoiled, and hes Futuristically, telling them that the Assyrian army that we read about in when we were doing the Jonah study, um, which at this time is like one of the most wicked, cruel um, nations, ever, it's basically going to go in and demolish their country. They're going to decimate everything. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd takes out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear. So shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, and in Damascus, in a couch. Hear you and testify in the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts, or the God of armies, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end. So in verse 15 there, he's attacking their prosperity. Because um, at this time, like I said, they were developing trade and commerce and becoming materialistic and wealthy and prosperous. Um, a big thing to have was a summer house. So they had uh, the regular house that they stayed in, but they could also get like a summer like vacation house. So God is saying, I'm going to smite your winter house and your summer house. The house of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end. So God's just like, I don't care. Like, because of what you've done, I'm going to give you your just recompense. And he's kind of just like spitting in the face of their, um, their prosperity. Because when we get prosperous and everything's going good, we start to live like we don't need God. So in chapter 4, he says, Hear this word, you cattle of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring, and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, lo, the days shall come upon you that he will take you away with the hooks, and your posterity with fishhooks. And you shall go, and you shall go out at the breaches, or at, um, that basically means that there was a break in the wall. Um, and you shall go out at the breaches, every cow, at that which is before her, and you shall cast them down into the palace, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress; at Gilgal, multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings for this likes you O children of Israel um I'm assuming that the word there for uh, like is like this suits you so he's he's saying like if you're going to continue to sin go in sin to your heart's content um does anybody have a different translation for that verse? Or are we all reading out of the King James?
2: Yeah, we're all reading the
1: King James.
0: Okay, that's cool. Um, verse 5, he says, And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings, for this likes you, O children of Israel, says the Lord God. And I have also given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, in want of bread in all your palaces yet you have not returned to me and also i have withheld the rain from you when there were were yet 3 months to the harvest and i caused it to rain upon one city and caused it to rain and i caused it not to rain upon another city one piece was rained upon and the piece whereupon it rained not withered so two or three cities wandered to one city to drink water but they were not satisfied yet have you not returned to me? says the Lord. I have spitten you with blasting and mildew uh, my translation says for the word for blasting means like a blight, which is essentially like what would happen to crops to cause them to die it's like a it's like an invasive um organism essentially that would destroy crops when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword, and have taken away your horses. I have made the stink of your camps to come up to your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. So God is just pleading with them. He's like, I'm doing... I'm. Because of what you've done, I am giving you. I'm reciprocating what you deserve because of what you've done in a just manner. And he's saying again and again and again, "You've not returned to me, even though I did this to you. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a firebrand pluck out of, plucked out of the burning. Yet you have not. Excuse me. Yet you have not returned to me," says the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, and because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. I wouldn't want to be the person listening to that. For lo, he, God, that forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought and makes the morning darkness and treads upon the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. uh, That's pretty heavy. Um, Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear you the word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave a hundred. And that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel, for thus says the Lord to the house; for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel: Seek me, and you shall live, but seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord, and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it and there be none to quench it in Bethel so it's kind of interesting because Bethel means the house of God and they're like perverting it essentially worshipping idols and doing all sorts of wicked things there in verse 7 he says you who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth seek him that makes the seven stars and Orion and turns the shadow of death into the morning and makes the day dark with night and calls the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. That strengthens the spoiled against the strong so that the spoiled shall come up against the fortress. They hate him that rebukes in the gate and they abhor him that speaks uprightly. And and obviously we, we see that in our day as well. Um... Basically, anybody that wants to tell the truth, anybody that wants to, you know, stand up for what's right, everybody hates them. Especially if it, if they're talking about God and the Bible.
3: Right.
0: For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, and you take from him the burdens of wheat, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink the wine of them. For I know that your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, they afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, so that the Lord God of hosts shall be with you as you have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate it may be that the the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, the Lord God, the God of hosts, or, excuse me, therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord says thus, Wailing shall be in the streets, and they shall say in the highways, Alas, alas, and they shall call the husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing. Um, in verse 17 it says, And, Got it. and all the vineyards um, shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. So it's kind of like um, in Egypt. When the Israelites were coming out of egypt, how the how God had to send the angel of death death to pass through and kill the firstborn of anybody that didn't have the blood spattered on their doorpost. Um, verse eighteen says, Woe to you that desire the day of the Lord! To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. If a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him, or went into the house, and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him, shall not the the day of the Lord be as darkness and not light? Let every dark, even very dark, and no brightness in it. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell your solemn assemblies. Um, Though you offer me burned offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take you away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your vials, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. So he's basically saying that, Although they're doing something good, like they're having feasts, um, they're burning incense, they're bringing meat offerings to the temple and everything, they're not, because of like everything that they're doing, God can see right through that and see that it's insincere and it's not right. So he's like, I don't care. And he actually says, I hate and I despise your feast days and the smell of your solemn assemblies. So he's saying, like, you, even though that's good stuff that you're doing, I hate it because it's insincere and it's, it doesn't have the heart. You don't have the heart in it. And he says, take away from me the noise of your songs and I will not hear the melody of your vials. So it's like an annoying noise in God's ears at that point, essentially. In verse 25 of chapter 5, he says, you have offered to me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years. Wait, have you offered... He's asking a question, Have you offered to me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Chiun, your images, the star of your small g-god which you made to yourselves. Therefore I will cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Let's see here.
1: What's
0: Damascus? Damascus is... Damascus, um, do any of you guys have maps in your Bible? I have a map. It should be on there. I want to say it's in... the
2: Old Testament world?
0: Well, yeah, it's still, it, it still exists, actually. So it should be in no matter what Bible you read. But I want to say it's up towards like the northern coast of Israel, where it meets, um, I,
1: think, uh, east of Simon, here in I don't
0: have good, good maps in my Bible, um, did you find it, Curtis?
1: Yeah, it's like east of Sidon.
0: Where is it at? place. Yeah, it's it's a place but it it uh I'm not sure where it is. I know Paul you, you Paul the apostle went through it, right? So that's that's Edom. Yeah, so I was right. It's way so this is Israel right here, mm-hmm. and then it's way up on the coast, inland. Did you find it, uh, Eric? So yeah, Paul the Apostle when he was um thrown off his horse and he met Jesus, he um that was on the road to Damascus. That'd so, be awesome to go there. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool. Because basically he was on he was on his way to go murder and imprison Christians and then Jesus basically appeared to him and, and he was thrown off his horse.
2: Right,
0: Paul? Yeah. Let's see. We got one, two, four. Got four chapters left. They're short. Um, basically, the, the, um, these last few chapters are a lamentation. It looks like visions, okay. the Amos head, and just kind of like a closing thing from God. Woe to them, v- chapter six, uh, verse one. Woe to them. That are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations whom the house of Israel came. So it's kind of interesting um, because he says they're at ease in Zion. So they're kind of just like, like all this, they're doing all this evil crap and they're kind of just like sitting there taking it easy, like they don't care. Pass you to Kalna and see, and from there go you to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms, or do their, or their border greater than your border? You that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon the beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the vial and invent themselves instruments of music like David that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the the chief ointments but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph Hmm. interesting so he's he's kind of just I'm trying to figure out how I can say this So he he's talking, he says Woe to them that are in Ezen, Zion, and in Samaria. He's saying Pass the Kalna and see from there. Go to Hamath the Great and then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms. So he's kind of putting a contrast between Zion, Samaria, and these other places. And he's like, well, they're the same as the pagans; they're not much better, to be honest. Right. Okay, moving on. Um, chapter six, verse seven. Therefore, now shall they go to captive. Shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be moved, shall be removed the Lord God has sworn by himself that the Lord God of, says the Lord God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. And therefore I will deliver up the city with all that is therein. And it's interesting that God swears by himself because God is the highest, so he has to swear upon himself. He can't swear upon anything else. God, God can't lie, so he has to swear upon himself, and when he does, he keeps his promises. So... That's final. When I mean, anytime God says something, it's final. But especially when he swears it upon himself. Right. And that, that means he means it. And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. A man's uncle shall take him up, and he that burns him to bring out the bones of the house. And shall say to him that is by the sides of the house, Is there yet any with you? And he shall say, No. Then shall he say, "Hold your tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord, for behold, the Lord commands, and He will smite the great house of, with breeches, and the little house with clefts. Shall horses run upon the rock, will one plow there with oxen? For you have turned judgment unto Gaul and the fruit of righteousness, or you have turned judgment into Gaul, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock." so he's saying judgment is like them upholding the right way he's saying you've turned it into gall which is poison and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock which is like bitter uh, like a bitter plant I think verse 13 you rejoice in a thing of nothing and say have we not taken to us the horns by our own strength but behold I, God speaking, will raise up Israel, or or, excuse me, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, says the Lord God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hemoth unto the river of the wilderness. Chapter 7, verse 1 Thus says the Lord God, or thus has the Lord God showed to me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning. So this is like a vision that, that he's um, receiving from God. Um, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech you, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small." The, then the Lord repented for this, or grieved for this. Um, it shall not be, says the Lord. Thus has the Lord God showed to me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it shall, and it devoured, wait, let's see, what does that say? Verse 4 says, the, thus has the Lord God showed to me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it Devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. And then said I, O Lord, cease, I beseech you. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented of his sins. Er, excuse, no, he wouldn't do that. The Lord <laughs> repented for this. I hate that it uses the word repented because it makes it confusing, but when it's saying repented there, it means that he grieved for this or he's like remorseful of this. Um, This also shall not be, says the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, A plumb line. Then Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Does anybody know what a plumb line is? Curtis you should know come on you don't know what a plumb line is it's basically I I used them when I when I was a carpenter um, but basically like yeah it's a, it's a real thing I, I almost brought one in to like illustrate it but um, it's it basically um, mine is like a chalk line which like you just put it like on a screw on the ceiling or something and then you snap it and it makes a blue line on there but it, it doubles as a plumb line, which is basically like, it was like, um, we still use them today, but back in, in this time, they would use it as like a level. So obviously, if something's not straight, it's crooked. So he's right. saying, like, like, the Bible says that um, when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God, so we're crooked. So God is kind of using that, the analogy of a plumb line and it's a plumb line is basically like um like mine is it's got a hook on the on the string right mm-hmm. and it's got a weight at the bottom so you set it up on something and then gravity will cause the the plumb at the bottom the, or to the level yeah at a level and it'll show you like if if something is straight or crooked right. so essentially he's saying the lord said to me almost what do you see and i said a plumb line then said the lord behold i will set a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel, and I will not again pass by them anymore, and the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So God is basically by saying that he's setting up a plumb line, he's setting up the standard for them to measure themselves up to to keep themselves straight. Um, which is pretty, I think that's a pretty cool um, yeah. illustration. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, said to Jeroboam, king of Israel, uh, said, wait, hang on, uh, verse 10 says, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has, cons- Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel, the land is not able to bear or endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall sure, surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also, Amaziah said to Amos, "O you seer, go, flee you away into the land of Judah, and there, and there eat bread and prophesy there, but prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court." Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear you the word of the Lord, you say. Prophecy, you say, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not your word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided by line, and you shall die in a polluted land. And Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of this land, of his land. It's uh, pretty heavy for for the king there. Um... Chapter Eight, Verse One, We got cha- Chapter Eight and Chapter Nine left. thus has the Lord God showed to me this is another vision, and behold, a basket of summer fruit, and He said, "Amos, what see you?" And I said, "A basket of summer fruit, and Then said the Lord to me, "The end is come upon the end is come upon the, my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more, and the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, says the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place, and they shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, O you that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making an ephah small, and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances of deceit? That we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of shoes, Yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I, God speaking, will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this and every one mourn that dwells therein? And I will raise up holy as a flood. And I will yeah, and it shall raise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. That's, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of this prophecy if I was like being told this by Amos in real time because he says he's, he's like God is speaking through me saying the end has come upon my people, people Israel and I would not pass by them anymore the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day and there shall be many dead bodies and then what else did he say Um, in verse 7 he says the Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob surely I will never forget any of their works God God keeps a record of everything so that would be pretty scary Um,
2: let's see verse
0: 9 and it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feasts into mourning, and your songs into lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins, and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only son, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, Not a famine of bread, nor thirsty for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. So God is basically saying, like, because ultimately because of everything that you've done, and because of me sending all these judgments and all these things upon you, and you still not turning away, I'm going to shut my mouth, and you're not going to have any words from the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, verse 12, and from the north even to the east. And they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Your small g-god, O Dan, lives, and the manner of Beersheba lives, even they shall fall and never rise up again. Chapter 9, verse 1, last chapter. I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, another vision, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door, and the posts, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that flees of them shall not flee away, and he that escapes of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, from there shall my hand take them. Though they climb up into heaven, from there will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out of there. And though they be hidden from my sight in the bottom of the sea, from there will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. I don't know how you can read that and not... And not see that uh, God is in control of everything, and we can never get away from our just recompense if we don't repent. Because these guys, um, the, it, God is just basically saying, like, because of your evil, I'm going to find you out no matter what. Like this judgment is inescapable. It kind of reminds me of like in the book of Revelation and in other uh, prophet books how it talks about um, people like running into the hills and running into the caves and rocks and stuff trying to like escape God but like God makes the rocks fall on the caves and like they can't get out. Right. Which I mean at the same time although it's like tragic for these guys it's it's God displaying his justice as well as the fact that he's in control of every detail. But also, um, it's it's kind of comforting because it shows that God is not going to let bad things go unpunished. Um, let's see here. So verse 5. And the Lord God of hosts is he that touches the land, and it shall melt. And all that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise up wholly like a flood. And there... And shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that builds his stories in the heaven. It, it is he, capital H, he, God, that builds his stories in the heavens. And has founded his troop in the earth. He that calls for the waters of the sea. And pours them upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not as the children of Ethiopians to me, O children of Israel, says the Lord? Have not I brought you... Um, have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. Saving, I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations like his corn. I sifted in a sieve like as corn I sifted in a sieve yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword which say the, um, the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us and that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old so he's saying he's going to restore the tabernacle of David because remember we said in the beginning the the kingdoms were divided. David um, comes from the tribe of Judah. so God um, er, his original plan for the royal line was to have it come through Judah, which obviously brought Jesus forth as the ultimate king. What he's saying in that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name says the Lord which is kind of um it's like it's a very messianic prophecy and um I think David says in another place in one of the psalms he says um like, uh, I don't know if it's I think it's David talking to God and God is basically saying like ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and in verse 12 it says he's going to possess the remnant of Edom and all of the heathen which are called by his name so basically this is talking about the Gentiles that are eventually going to be and grafted into Israel. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that sows seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. Um, they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, says the Lord your God. And that is the end of Amos. So, does anybody want to share anything that they pulled out of it? Anything that stood out to you?
2: Um, I learned that... uh...
0: it's important to, you know, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible says, because we need to um, put everything under the blood so that when judgment does come, we're exempt from that.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Curtis, did you have anything that stood out to you? Anything that, uh, like any principles or applications that you took from that? Yeah. I agree. Anything else? Yeah, they did take the hard way. Joe, did you uh get anything out of that in the tail end there? turtle. It's it's relevant though. A lot of it.
3: How, it's just like people have believe. if you don't have the truth, you believe in anything. Right. People are desperate for truth. And yet it seems like in these dusty old books of the Bible, these guys, and it's, it might not be entertaining, but people just say, this is to be entertaining, you know, and be by video games or It's a non-reality. There's it's a
0: place for entertainment, but this is truth, This know? is truth.
3: or those that possess it and understand it live in it with. I mean, it's, the is okay. I, and I'm mean, going to honestly the point where I can't speak for anybody else but it's for me my house and this spot right here it's the Lord's and it's really cool to see you guys here in the man I guess I no uh, it's, awesome. it's, it's
0: good, like, good man I, like, like awesome. I appreciate I the out.
3: yeah where do you want to talk about God's word
2: like because I just love the Lord you know <laughs> yeah. like,
1: I appreciate <laughs> it
2: Awesome. Thank you. For
0: sharing. Did you have anything you pulled out of there, Eric, that you wanted to share? He's got. To- kind of just playing about ear through the prophets at the moment. I kind of just wanted to get like a foundational thing yeah, yeah, of the prophets to, done. The, like, the prophets had really hard jobs. When it was in,
3: you know. <laughs> yeah. But if we get the opportunity to read it in hindsight and then, you know, we could learn from it. Yeah. That's why I was thinking,
0: wow, you know, this is recorded for us. What's funny is uh, Amos, we just read at the end of the book before you came in, he's like, he went up to the king at, at his time and and. and the they, they, seized him, and they were they were telling him to stop prophesying and stop doing this. He's like, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a shepherd, and God told me to go tell these people thus. So, it's it's just um, he he was just a regular guy, you know. He's just like he didn't even claim to be a prophet. He's just like God told me to go. Te- I was just out tending my sheep. God brought me over here, and he said, um, go prophesy to these people. So I obeyed. That's essentially what he told the king. God said he's gonna like leave dead bodies around, there's gonna be wailing.
3: But awesome. he comes to the gates, he's southwest. Your first is class. Yeah.
2: Are you are you a student at the out of school? Um I'm out of school. I graduated the same year uh, as Ashton. From um, um, Arcadia. <laughs>